Hey guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. This is, uh, I don't know what episode it is, but we're studying Alma chapters 23 through 29. Uh, It's kind of part two. Uh, Last episode, we studied the beginning of the story of Ammon and the sons of Mosiah and their missionary journey to the Lamanites and the incredible miracles that they experienced. Uh, this is the second half of that story. We are most excited because this episode we are joined by our really good friend and guest, uh, Ashley Lanieri. Ashley, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, we had Ashley on an episode last year, um, which was... Yes, she did an awesome bonus episode with us last year. It's episode 70, and it was on Ashley's master's degree and thesis work on her study of women in the early church. If, if anyone is listening to this and hasn't listened to that, um, it's a must listen to. We know Ashley because Zach and Ashley taught together, um, both as seminary instructors a few years ago now, I guess. Um, but Ashley, tell us a little quick intro about yourself, just for our listeners. Yeah, so I taught seminary uh, for uh, five, five or six years. And um, since since being on the podcast last year, my life has changed a lot because we just adopted a little uh, baby boy. He is now one, um, and he has been such a joy in our lives. Um, and so I quit my job, and I'm now a stay-at-home mom, and um, it's been quite a, a an adjustment period for me, and I think that's why maybe this Come Follow Me lesson has really resonated with me and the things we're going to talk about, but yeah, we're we just we're just obsessed with our little boy now, and I feel like that's all we do all day long is just play with him and watch the new things he does. Well, he's adorable. That kid is easily easy to obsess over a kid that's that cute. So, okay. <laughs> well, um, one thing I don't know if if we've ever mentioned this when having guests on, but this season um, we really tried to have a lot more guest voices on. Um, deliberately because we, we, we want to, we just want more voices to be heard. There's so many people that are passionate about the scriptures and the way they interact with our life. But one thing I don't know if we've mentioned before is uh, the way we set up our guests for this, this year was we sent them basically the blank slate of the book of Mormon and said, which chapters are you passionate about? Which ones do you want to, to talk about? And so it wasn't by assignment. It was by, by self-selection. And so this block was one that you actually specifically selected for some of the reasons you mentioned. And so I'm going to give just a brief introduction of where we're at and link it together where we were last week, um, and then we'll dive in. So um, last episode, like I mentioned, we began our study of the Sons of Mosiah and their incredible missionary journey to the Lamanites. And if the theme of last lesson or last episode was um, you can make incredible, miraculous changes in your personal life and in the worlds you live in by being an instrument in the hands of God. If that was the message of the of last episode, the kind of companion message for this episode is when you are an instrument in the hands of God, even though miraculous things can and will happen, it often doesn't happen as planned. Sometimes the things that happen um, are very different from what we would expect to happen as part of a normal plan. Um, sometimes they're not just different, they're, they're tragic. And this study today um, is a great example of that 
I don't know, that counter view to what we had last episode. So, um, Alma chapter 26, Ammon has just finished, uh, or is, they're kind of at the end of their missionary journey. Um, and chapter 26 is this kind of long monologue of Ammon just rejoicing in everything that's happening. Uh, starting in verse 10, his brother Aaron says, uh, I fear that joy doth carry thee away into boasting. And Ammon responds, I do not boast in my own strength, nor in my own wisdom, but behold, my joy is full. Yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. A couple of chapters later, Alma, who also had an incredible missionary journey, says something very similar. Um, he says in verse 9, I know that which the Lord hath commanded me, and I glory in it. I do not glory in myself, but I glory in that which the Lord hath commanded me. And this is my glory, that perhaps I may be an instrument in the hands of God to bring some soul to repentance. And this is my joy. So both Ammon and Alma rejoicing that they've been an instrument in the hands of God and have been able to do some incredible things. What you don't know if you just read those verses is that both of their journeys involved um, a lot of sadness, trial, and tragedy. That even though they were an instrument in the hands of God and here are able to rejoice in the fruits of their labor, um, it hasn't been the prettiest picture. And so the question we want to ask in our study today is, if last episode was about how to change the world, this episode is, how do you rejoice? How do you keep that joy even when the plan doesn't go according to plan? How do you rejoice in God when God allows for trial, and tragedy, and difficulty as part of that change process? So that's our study question. And Ashley, we want to start with your thoughts and, and your feelings. So we'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I think that was such a good introduction, Zach. Um, I, I really resonated with especially Alma chapter 29. Um, with this opening of Alma saying, oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish of mine heart that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God with a voice to shake the earth and cry repentance unto every people. He, we start off with this man who is discontent um, with his life. And what's crazy about it is I wrote this list of Alma's life so far, and it sounds pretty awesome if you think about it. Yes, Alma the Younger had a big rough patch um, in his life, um, but if you really look at his life, he's he's born a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. He's born to righteous and faithful parents. Um, he he's got to have really great social skills because he was able to persuade so many people to leave the church for a time. Um, he sees an angel not once but twice in his life. Um, he becomes chief judge of the land, leaves that job to be full-time prophet. Um, and as part of that, he preaches the gospel to thousands of people. Thousands of people are baptized, converted, or return who have left. Um, he has valuable friendships in Ammon and Aaron, Omner, and Himni, in um, Amulek. Um, he successfully um, brings back someone like Zizram who um, was so hardened. And yes, Ammonihah was this terrible, awful time in their life, but he also had so much success. And so if you were to look at his life, you would say, Alma, I mean, you've lived a pretty great life and yet you are not content. How is that possible? And I take a lot of comfort in that because I, like Alma, feel like I have a pretty great and rich life. 
but I also continually struggle with being discontent. Um, and so this is, this is a chapter that just really resonates with me because I think that um, it, it helps me give myself a little bit of grace that it's okay if I'm feeling that way. But then Alma also gives us great tools to help us to find contentment in our lives, no matter our circumstances. That's so good. I know you mentioned when we were talking before recording, just the verse right before Alma chapter 29, which I had never read in connection with verse one, but it's almost like you should cross out the chapter break there because in verse 29, he's talking about there's a great reason for sorrow and also for rejoicing. And it's that sorrow that makes him wish that he were an angel. So it's, it's not even that Alma's wishing for something unrighteous. He's not asking for money or wealth uh, or popularity. He's asking to mitigate the sorrow in the world. And that's the desire that um, he's, he's wrestling with, is discontent with. So I'm, I'm curious to know then from your study of 29, Ashley, what you mentioned tools that helped him to kind of balance that. Um, what are the things that you saw in there? Yes. Yeah, so um, starting in chapter 29, verse 3, he says, he realizes and recognizes that to, to be discontent um, is a sin because he's not realizing what God's given him. He says specifically, for I ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. And then verse six, he says, now seeing that I know these things, why should I desire more than to perform the work to which I have been called? I think Alma's pointing out that if we really want to be content, if we really want to be happy now, that we need to start looking at where where has God called me? What has he called me to do? What has he allotted me or given me right now in my life? I think it starts with looking at what has God blessed me with and starting from there. I think that's such a rich point because I think that's really where it all begins. We see that so often in these in these verses of these missionaries of just that them first recognizing what God has get blessed them with and what he has given them. And it's always the starting point for something really great. Either they, like we see Alma, either he realizes what he has been given and kind of has to go back and remember that. Or we see it, I think, a lot in the scriptures as a catalyst for God giving more directions to people is when they're recognizing his hand. Maybe that's why it's so important for prayer and revelation to begin with that that gratitude piece. Yes, Elder Bednar um, in a great talk that he had about, it was actually about tithing. Um, he, he was talking about gratitude and the windows of heaven being poured out. And he said, a grateful person is rich in contentment. Um, I think mm -hmm. that it's amazing how when we start to genuinely be grateful um, and not just, not just this like listing off our blessings, but really I find times some of my best prayers are when I'm actually talking to Heavenly Father and I am thinking about even just one thing that day, one thing that I'm genuinely grateful for. Um, and maybe it was something that I felt and not necessarily something that I possessed that day, but hmm. just seeing his hand in my life, um, that gratitude can really just change um, our attitude. I didn't mean to rhyme there, but, but it, it can, it really can change our attitude. 
I sense a meme coming. <laughs> yeah. I've already been attitude of gratitude. <laughs> well, I like that a lot because um, I was reading just a little bit later in chapter 29. Um, I read verse 10 or I read verse nine that Alma says, I, I can be an instrument in the hands of God. And then he starts talking about the things that fills him with this joy and this contentment. Um, you know, I see many of my brethren truly penitent coming to the Lord. My soul is filled with joy. And I remember what the Lord has done for me, even that he has heard my prayer. Yea, I remember his merciful arm, which he extended towards me. I also remember the captivity of my fathers. Verse 12, I have always remembered the captivity of my fathers and that same God who delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians to deliver them out of bondage and that same God to establish his church among them. And that same God has called me by a holy calling to preach the word of his people. I loved the, well, first, as you mentioned that gratitude and and reflection, Alma says, I remember how much God has done for me and even for my family, for my ancestors. And it's that same God that is currently leading me and guiding me to what I'm, what I'm doing. Yeah. I think that's beautifully put because so recently I've been, I felt the need to go back through my old journals and, um, I just started with my mission journals. Uh, so 10 years ago, and then I just started to like work my way and I am amazed how much I forget and how much I forget to see God's hand in my life. Um, I feel like if I could just share from personal experience. So I, I've, my discontentment journey, (laughs) that's kind of a weird way to put it, but (laughs) I feel like I, I have, so for a long time, what I was discontent about was I really wanted to be married and I got married at 27. And I mean, honestly, anyone, maybe even outside of Utah listening would be like, like (laughs) the chill pill girl, she's good. Like, 27 is really young still to be, to get married, but with going to BYU and at the age of 23, you feel like a grandma. Um, it's <laughs> 27 feels old. And I was in a profession where everyone I knew was married and, um, it was a constant reminder and I was marrying off batches of roommates and best friends. And it's just something that I, I just wanted so badly. And then I got it. And then, um, Scott and I got married and, we tried for kids right away. And for two and a half years, we struggled to have kids. And we wrote many checks to many different doctors. Um, We had lots of different procedures, one of them being IVF. Um, We got pregnant and we miscarried pretty quickly. And um, anyone who's been through that journey can um, just attest to the, the, just the devastation. It's just so devastating. You're, you, you, you not, not just only financially sacrifice so much, but emotionally you're sacrificing so much. Um, and I mean, I remember I got the results about the miscarriage. It was, um, 10 minutes before I was supposed to teach a seminary class and it was on Liberty jail. Can you imagine? (laughs) I was about to walk in and teach that. And, um, I just, it was so heart-wrenching. Um, but I go through all of that, that phase of feeling so discontent. And then we get a phone call about a week after our miscarriage. And it's about this little boy 
um, who's going to be born in a, about a month. And um, the birth mother calls us and she's unaware of our circumstances, but she felt that God wanted us to, um, wanted her to call us. And, um, and she asked if we would adopt her son um, that was to be born. So then a month later, I become a mother. And um, that's like a whole other story in and of itself. But I guess the point to be, to, to say here is for so long, I felt like I was praying to get married. Then I got married. And then I felt like that two and a half years was so long praying for a child. And then I got a child and you would look at me now and you'd be like, wow, she's married. She has a kid. Her life is perfect. She like has nothing to complain about. And yet I still do. And I still find reasons to be discontent. And I, I would probably guess that I'm not the only one. I don't know if you guys, do you feel like <laughs> you struggle with this too? No, no, I've never been discontent ever. <laughs> Sorry, that's just a you thing. <laughs> no, that that's why I think that the stories can be so powerful, not only in the scriptures, but just your personal experience of um, that change and the real I don't know. I was going to say the real awfulness of being discontent. Mm. Like it just, it creates a lot of discomfort and pain because just like you're saying like, Oh wait, I just got this and now I'm still not satisfied. And that, that's just, that's just so hard. And I think one of the points I think that you demonstrate beautifully in your life is um, that trying to seek for that contentment. So maybe how have you dealt with that or maybe what lessons have, the scriptures taught you as you've identified with Alma in these of um, what's helped you. I know the one we talked about already, the gratitude, I think that's wonderful, but maybe now that you've shared some of your personal story, maybe what has helped you um, on a more practical level. Oh man, it's, it's such an ongoing wrestle. Um, it's, there's not an easy fix to it. Um, I think if, if I were to look back um, what made me, it, it really was feeling gratitude and also being service oriented. I, I became a temple worker as uh, when I was single and I worked in the temple for three years and that was life changing for me. Um, the women that I met there um, changed my life. Um, it, it was such a blessing to me to spend that much time in God's house. Um, and then being married at that infertility you, you and your spouse, you're in it, you're in the thick of it together. And I mean, what a great way to like experience the honeymoon phase and get out of the honeymoon phase together of like <laughs> through this like refiner's fire. And I, I gained so much trust and love and respect for Scott in so many ways that, um, that I think will richly bless our marriage forever. Um, but I look at now and, um, a big part of, the discontentment that I felt was I, I really struggled. This is almost seems embarrassing because I introduced myself with what my master's was on about motherhood, but it, it was the struggle of being a full-time mom and leaving a job that I, that I love. Um, and so going from that and trying to adjust and, and learning to love motherhood, it was, it's actually pretty funny. I was talking to my mom about how I was I was missing my job. This was, I think, last year. And she said to me, you need to go reread your thesis. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> zing, mom, you got me. Because I 
I really did because it was all about how Leah Witso talked a lot about how a mother can change the world that by blessing and helping one child, one person, that that is a ripple effect that can end up changing your neighborhood, your ward, your society, and eventually the world. And I wasn't seeing what was right in front of me. I wasn't seeing that my time with my son now, even though I'm not teaching him these grandiose lessons yet about life, the love I'm showing him now, the time I'm giving him now, that that is so valuable, that God has called me to do that now. And the more I appreciate that and embrace it and um, just learn to love that, the more that I start to feel so content. I'm, I'm overflowing with contentment when I, when I embrace that role. So good. You know, hearing your story and reading this the week, um, this is back in Alma 26, but it reminds me so much, this whole study of what the sons of Mosiah went through. Um, we often focus on the miraculous results of their missionary journeys. Thousands of Lamanites converted to the gospel. They bury their weapons. They become the most converted people, perhaps in the whole Book of Mormon, with maybe the exception of the people at the time of Jesus. Um, and so we look at the results, but the results often come because of so much struggling and trial and being patient and persistent through that. I love in your story, Ashley, that being content doesn't mean being stationary. Just because I, I should be and should desire to be content with what God has given me doesn't mean that I can't move forward, progress, grow, uh, and long for growth and development. And I think the Sons of Mosiah have that. This is Alma 26. And um, Alma's or Ammon is recounting their story. And he's telling his brothers, you remember when we left Zarahemla and we said that we were going to go teach the Lamanites and everyone laughed at us. In fact, they said they were going to go wage war on the Lamanites because it was this lost cause. And we told them, no, we're going to go do it. But we were really depressed about it. Um, God comforted us and said, you go, this is verse 27, and bear with patience your afflictions and I will give unto you success. But then there's this whole middle part of what they went through to get that success. In verse 29, Ammon says, we entered their houses and taught them. We've taught them in their streets. We've taught them on their hills. We've entered into their temples and their synagogues and taught them. And we have been cast out and mocked and spit upon and smote upon our cheeks. We have been stoned and taken and bound with strong cords and cast into prison. We have suffered all manner of afflictions, not the least of which is in the middle of all of this, they convert these Lamanites and then there's this giant war and thousands of their newly converted friends die, are slaughtered horribly. And yet it's this same Ammon that says in verse 36, just a couple of verses later, now, if this is boasting, even so will I boast. For God is my life and my light, my joy and my salvation, my redemption from everlasting woe. And so I, I love your story and this study paired together to illustrate both from 2,000 years ago and from two years ago um, that being an instrument in the hands of God does not um, remove you from trial and difficulty. And often it's those trials and difficulties that create such a beautiful end, end result. I, I love what you said there, Zach, especially the beginning about um, this, uh, the perspective changed. Um, Alma 
in, in verse one, he's saying, oh, that I were an angel that I could cry repentance to everyone. I want to convert the world. And the way to do that is being an angel. And then you see the shift in him in verse nine, where he goes from that to saying, um, yay, and this is my glory, that perhaps I may be an instrument in the hands of God to bring some soul to repentance. And this is my joy. And he realizes that I, I don't have to be an angel to convert the entire, and I don't need to convert the entire world. I can be an instrument in God's hands and I can bring some soul to repentance. He starts to see, I think, just have the lens that of God. He's, he's trying to see from God's perspective that God works in small and simple ways and it doesn't need to be some huge grand thing for him that he can find joy in in that small way in being an instrument in his way. I think the thing I love about this study and what was shared today, um, and thank you so much, Ashley, for all you've shared, is the kind of linking back to last week's episode again is that to make real changes, we need God to be on our team. We need to remember him and we need to remember the experiences that we've had with him and that that ties in so well with this contentment piece of remembering that God is the one who we should really be looking up to, to measure ourselves, to measure our joy and our change and our contentment, because he's going to give us that, that peaceful feeling that I think brings, brings so much contentment. And I love the way that those play together to remember that God is at the center of everything that we need to be focusing on. Yeah. I, I think Krista, you're so right that it, it it's going to take receiving revelation, personal revelation to know how to be content and the things that you can do in your life. I I had an experience just last week where um, our little boy is such a little tornado right now. He just runs into a room or, or crawls into a room and makes a mess and then leaves. And I'm just cleaning up his messes constantly. And I finally was like, we're going outside. And I went outside and I was reading and he was playing outside and I was reading out of um, the Chip and Joanna Gaines book, the Magnolia Storybook. And um, Joanna Gaines talks about this revelatory experience she had as a mom of four kids where she was doing something similar as I was. She was constantly cleaning up their messes and she noticed all their fingerprints on these white couches. And she's just in her mind, just like, I can't believe these kids and they're always making these messes. And then she's blaming herself. Why did I buy white couches? And um, and then in the middle of this, she just had this thought come to her head. One day you're going to miss those fingerprints. And, um, I think it was at the same time that her kids in the other room just like had burst into laughter and kind of snapped her out of things. And she started to think maybe I'm prioritizing the wrong things. And, um, she says, there's this quote from this book from what she says. She says, I realized that my determination to make things perfect meant I was chasing an empty obsession all day long. Nothing was ever going to be perfect the way I had envisioned it in the past. Did I want to keep spending my energy on that effort or did I want to step out of that obsession and to enjoy my kids, maybe allowing myself to get messy right along with them in the process? It actually, reading that made me put down the book and then I played with Charlie for a little bit. Um, and I... I just think it was a revelatory experience for me reading her revelatory experience that it was right in front of me. Contentment is right in front of me. If I would just take the time to look at what God's given me, I would 
feel so grateful and so overjoyed with the things that he's already given me. That's so good. Ashley, thank you so much for your story and your study. And we just love having you on the episode or on the podcast with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to share just one scripture to close. Uh, you mentioned fingerprints, and this is one of my favorite verses. Uh, my bishop a couple years pointed this out to me, Alma 26, verse 7. Um, and he's talking in this verse about the thousands of people that have died, um, the converts to the church that have died. And yet, he says, they are in the hands of the Lord of the harvest, and they are his and he will raise them up at the last day. And you talking about fingerprints, the image that came into my head was not just kids' fingerprints on our couches and being content with those, but God's fingerprints on our lives and on us. Uh, and that because we're in his hands, even though things might be difficult, um, he can provide that contentment, as you've said, that revelatory contentment. And he can also help us to make changes, the changes we want, the changes that he wants, and the changes maybe that the world needs. So... Thank you so much to all of you out there for listening. Um, we'll be posting some quotes from this episode um, on Instagram this week, so stay tuned there. And uh, Ashley, thank you once again, and uh, have a great week. 